this is a this is a tough one. Um, I think probably so. The, the the craziest pivot I've ever seen from a from a founder was on the very first TechStars program that I ran. We invested in a company called Intelligent X, and they were using AI to brew beer to make beer more personalized. So you would buy a beer. You would have a drink and there was a QR code on the can and you would scan it and you would give feedback. So you would say, oh, it's a little bit too hoppy or it's too light or I want a little bit more of this. And then all of that aggregate feedback would go back in and, and improve the, the, the recipe over time. Um, and so it was a really smart team. They ended up being one of Wired's top innovations of 2015 or, or 2016. Um, but as they kind of got to fundraising and, and going into to that side of the world, it was it was a challenging kind of landscape for them at the time. And, and for a lot of investors investing in anything um, that's related to alcohol is is very challenging. And so um, they decided to, to, to wind down that business. But Cody, uh, who is one of the founders of that company, about maybe two or three weeks later, I, I met him for a coffee. And I'll always remember a little coffee shop um near uh the the port authority bus terminal in 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 new york city uh and he told me this idea about luggage storage and, and moving luggage around and and moving your items around in the real world almost like a an aws for your for your stuff um and as he told me the storage idea i kind of thought well, you know this feels like there's a, a lot of these ideas out there but then as he talked about the idea that you could go to the gym and then you could leave your bag at the gym, it would automatically go to a dry cleaners and then be delivered back to your house or, you know, all of these kind of, you go to the airport, you can leave your bag at the airport, it'll automatically be delivered to your hotel and you can just go and, and get started with your with your trip. Um, and I thought the idea was brilliant. Uh, and, and Cody launched the idea, they, they recently raised their Series A from... Um, Andreessen Horowitz, they raised from General Catalyst in, in their first round. They're now in um, 100 and something countries around the world and, and scaling unbelievably quickly. So from beer to luggage storage, I think is is probably one of the craziest uh, pivots I've, I've seen. That's a story, by the way, great story. <laughs> I mean, even uh, before becoming uh, an investor, probably an entrepreneur, you worked in different kinds of sectors and industries. Yeah, yeah. I experience prepare you for the startup? So I was a journalist first. Well, I was a failed musician. I always wanted to be a rock star, but I wasn't good enough uh, to, to do that. And so I studied uh, journalism when I was in college and, and wrote for a couple of magazines and newspapers. I presented some radio shows and and, and worked in, in um, actually in the very early days of, of kind of online publishing as well. My first startup experience was with a, a company in San Francisco uh, who got VC funding back when I'd never even heard of a venture capitalist in, in 1998. And uh, I was one of their kind of European editors for a travel site they were building. But journalism, I think, was a great primer for for entrepreneurship and for VC because actually the job is entirely based on research and asking questions and so you have to spend an awful lot of time learning how to ask people the right questions phrase those questions in the right way you have to learn how to really listen to what people are saying I think one of the mistakes that we all make um, is we kind of either have happy ears and so we hear the bits that we want to hear or we're distracted by our watch or our phone or a bird flying by. Uh, and so we only hear maybe 50 or 60% of what someone is saying. But if you're presenting a three hour radio show every evening and, and there's, you know, a couple of hundred thousand people listening to it, they will ring in and they will send letters in and tell you that you're terrible if you didn't pick up on one word in a sentence. So you have to learn how to really concentrate and, and not just hear what someone is saying, but kind of get the 
the the the full answer maybe from their body language etc and so i think that for me you know now when it comes to writing investment memos now when it comes to kind of clarity of thinking around businesses when it comes to kind of asking questions in in interviews etc i think that gave me a really good grounding not just in kind of content um and in questioning but also in human psychology uh and i think that was that was really valuable and that was the grounding and and it was from that content base that i started my first company and and that led to the um to the journey into vc i mean you have been involved hundreds of thousands of startups i think uh for many years feels like it <laughs> what, yes what have been the biggest learnings and also takeaways from them yeah i think I think the, um, the 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 cliche is kind of fortune favors the prepared mind, but it's 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 a cliche because it's true. Um, so the best companies that I have worked with are the ones where you know the founder is super passionate about the sector that they're in or the problem that they're solving. They have gone really deep into the market and the opportunity. They have conducted hours, maybe weeks, maybe even months of of customer discovery um, conversations. And they know chapter and verse on their competition. And, and the, the way that that manifests is, hey, you see it in conversations and, and in the kind of dialogue that you have with founders. But the, the types of companies that prepare really detailed notion pages and, and use those as, as data rooms. And, and I think we we saw that with the, the folks from Twice Commerce, which is a, a shared investment that you and I have. You know, Tuomo and the team there had maybe one of the most insanely detailed data rooms I've, I've ever seen. And it meant... The process was much quicker for us as investors because if there was a question I had, I didn't need to schedule a meeting and take 30 minutes out of their calendar and, and mine and my partners. I could go through that data room and get the answer that I needed straight away and then have time to mull it over and ask a better question. So I think that kind of preparedness is is really important. I think being open-minded um, and having some humility is really important. I mean, for many years I ran the Techstars Accelerator in New York and London, and, and a huge component of that is meeting lots of mentors and, and you know former founders and investors and um, people from from various different parts of the business world. And loads of them will tell you your idea is terrible, and a bunch of them will tell you your idea is good, and some of them will give you good feedback and good suggestions, etc. But I think the best founders are the ones that constantly want to hear whether it's from their customers, from their peers, from investors, from others, like what does good look like? What does great look like? How do I get better? The, the, the best founders I've worked with have been learning machines. They're constantly asking for podcast recommendations or book recommendations. And I think that that kind of intellectual curiosity is, is something that's just so important because you have to wear a lot of different masks as a as a founder and as an investor, but I think particularly for founders, it's 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 important that they have that kind of intellectual curiosity. So that kind of almost founder market fit and 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 focus and detail orientation, and then that kind of intellectual curiosity are two big, big, big ones that are always big green flags for me. Well, what what does the um, evolution of a startup process look like in Terabisi? I mean, how do you process all the deal flow? Yeah, so so we, I mean, we get a, a bunch of cold um, inbound, which we, you know, share, we'll, we'll kind of flag it. So the different partners within the fund have, have maybe some different areas of, of expertise or some different areas of focus. So if we get something that's maybe fintech or cybersecurity related, we'll normally send it on to, uh, to Stanislav if we get something that's maybe more 
food or retail or marketplace related, then it'll it'll come to me. Uh, so we get inbound like that. We get lots and lots of um, introductions from our portfolio founders. Uh, because Terra leads rounds, we get a lot of introductions and inbound from angels and, and other and other VC funds. So normally we'll do kind of a, a 30 minute kind of intro call with with the companies. And then we have two deal flow calls internally every week. So, you know, every call we have, we take some notes, we share some details. We have a little one pager that we prepare and we share that with the rest of the team. And then in, in our one of our weekly calls, we talk about the opportunity. And normally we kind of score it. So we say, okay, I'm definitely not interested. Like I'm a maybe, I think this is kind of interesting or like, yes, we should we should definitely talk to the company. And if we get enough people saying they're interested, well then either we'll organize a, a team call or we will think about some questions that we have and go back directly to the company or, uh, you know, so, so normally we have, you know, one or two kind of introductory calls, short one, then a longer one. And then we start to get into diligence where, again, there's a full team call. We might start getting some of our venture partners or some of our existing portfolio founders to, to interview or to ask questions or to test the product or to, to give us some feedback you know, if the company that we're talking to is happy about it and we're excited, we'll maybe start making some introductions to other potential co-investors. So the, the process lasts, you know, anything from from probably four weeks in, in a good case, three or four weeks, right the way up to six or eight weeks if we're if we're really digging in or if there's some very technical due diligence that we need to do. And then the final stage is we have a an investment committee meeting. Um we individually, so each partner will take the lead on a deal. So the lead partner then pitches the company to everyone else. So that's why data rooms are very important. So that I do a good job of pitching someone else's company. Um, and then we have a full consensus model. So we all have to say yes to the deal for it to happen. If one of us says no, um, then then we don't invest. And, and you know, we, we do our best to get decisions to people quickly. We do our best to give feedback where, um, where we can. And, 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 you know, in a lot of cases, maybe companies are, a little bit too early in the game or in, in some cases maybe even slightly too far along but you know we do try to make connections or, or or give them some valuable feedback that'll give them a better chance maybe next time they talk to us or or someone else well in these meetings what are the red flags i mean for yourself and for the team i mean face-to-face uh, -face calls or online calls do you have some some patterns that say oh, this will be a failure or the team that we don't like very quickly. Yeah, I think I think companies, so there's, there's a few, right? I think there are a lot of companies where, um, well, let me flip that. The best companies that we've invested in, it's like they're already driving a car and the car is going downhill and they want us to get in with a full tank of gas and fill it up so that they can go even faster and, and, and further. Um, the big red flag for me is when you meet a founder who's kind of standing next to the car with the keys in their hand going do you want to drive uh, and so you meet founders who are they kind of are, are waiting for investment to happen for the business to happen uh, and i think there has to be some momentum so a lack of momentum whether that be even if you're at an idea stage i would expect that that you know if i'm having a call with you every couple of days in the early stages that like you would have some new piece of customer development or some survey that you ran or you know a couple of hundred signups to a newsletter that you've set you set up to to attract customers or if you're you know if you if you've got a product in the market that you're having meaningful maybe sales conversations if you're a b2b company so if you don't have that then that's a big red flag if you're at an idea stage and you haven't done any customer development even if you've got great founder market fit i think that's a that's a really really red flag um 
I think if you don't have a clear idea of how how much money you want to raise, um, and and you don't, you know, it doesn't have to be precise to the last cent, but I think being able to say to someone, "We're raising five hundred k," that's going to allow me to hire these two or three people in these roles. I've already got a pipeline of that talent, and it's going to allow me to get to fifteen k MRR, and then we're going to raise a million and a half in a year's time. Like that's that prepared mind, and I meet a lot of founders who go, "Oh, we could, we're, we might raise something something between one and two million. You know, it's a big difference, right?" <laughs> Uh, you know, cozy. What's a million dollars between friends? It's a, you know, it's a lot of money. Um, so I think when when people don't know what they're going to spend, when people maybe don't have um, that kind of ideal customer profile in mind, and then there's little things when you're um, when you're on calls with people, uh, just watching body language, seeing how people react. If I ask a technical question and the CEO answers it. Sometimes I wonder why, you know, or if, if I'm on a call, and this is one for, for all founders, if there's three or four founders in a team and you're on a call, even if it's just 30 minutes with a, with a VC, if only one person from your team speaks in that time, it kind of looks like everyone else is like a mannequin on the call. And, and it's a bit weird that you've got like kind of three people observing you and, and one person talking. So I think the team dynamic is really important to try and observe. And, and we try, and I have thankfully been been successful so far in all of the, the deals that I've led with Terra, I have met in person the founding team and spent kind of in, in, in most cases a couple of hours with them and gone for lunch or gone for dinner or been able to kind of have a coffee or a, or, or a drink with them um, because I want to see that dynamic. Uh, I want to see how these people interact with each other because you know co-founder breakups, particularly a preceding seed, are a very real challenge and a real issue that I've seen a lot, unfortunately. What excites you most right now about the emerging tech trends and startups? I think it's, it's, it was funny. I had a conversation with someone yesterday where we were talking about some of the hype that's happening around kind of the AI at the moment. And he said something that, that kind of resonated with me, that this period of time reminds me an awful lot of like 2008 when the, when the app store came out first and there was this kind of explosion of, of ideas um, and products and builders and and kind of crazy stuff uh going on and, and it was really exciting like it was really exciting to see all of these and, and listen you know 95 percent of the ideas were terrible right? um and, and never worked but the five percent that did were uber or transferwise or stripe or you know king games or supercell or any of these these businesses that became absolutely absolutely huge on mobile and i think there is a similar explosion uh, of, of AI happening at the moment. I think there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of okay businesses. I think there are some industries that are that are well positioned to, to be disrupted with, with what we currently have in terms of um, large language models. So, so that excites me. Um, and the pace at which people can build a business excites me and even build a, build a product. You know, I think it's 20 years since I started my first company. Uh, and you kind of think back 20 years and go, if I wanted to build something, you know, like a, a video conferencing tool, it might've taken me $5 million and two years of engineering time to, to do it. And I would have needed my own server racks and a you know cooling system. Um, now I can go on to, you know, GitHub Copilot and basically request that that be built for me in, in 10 seconds. Um, so I think the pace at which people can innovate, the pace at which people can create things is exciting. Um, I think there's a lot of exciting um, opportunities in the in the broader climate and, and, and energy and sustainability space. Um, I think like anyone who's a 
thinking about the future. In my case, I have a two and a half year old, so I think about his future uh, an awful lot. I think there's a, there's a lot of work that we need to do on the planet to make it a better place. And, and you know, from a purely capitalist perspective, there's a lot of opportunity to, to build great businesses whilst, whilst making that difference and that impact. Um, and I have always been very excited by food. Uh, I think what we eat, how we eat it, where we grow it, um, the quality of it, etc. I, I, again, we're probably five years behind the US um, from a European perspective, but but we're starting to see some quite exciting stuff in in that space as well, and and some funds that are specifically dedicated to to that sector um, in in the UK and and wider European markets. So I, I want to see more in in that world as well. Um, you have seen the lots of countries, and now you are focusing on Nordics, Baltics, especially in the. What is their um, secret uh, about uh, um, creating lots of startups and successful startups? So success breeds success. I think if you look at the the Bay Area and and, and Silicon Valley more specifically, you'll see that you know the people who started Apple and, and made money from Apple, you know, later became investors in the next wave of kind of 80s, 90s, dot-com era businesses. In many cases, um, the people who came out of that kind of dot-com era, the, the PayPal mafia became investors in Facebook. The Facebook mafia became investors in, you know, the next generation of, of companies coming through. And so you have this kind of virtuous cycle where people have built technology businesses, so they have some expertise, they've made money from technology businesses so that they know that that's, uh, you know, a possibility, and they're therefore comfortable reinvesting in 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 that world. And so they bring not just money, but but expertise and knowledge and, and a network. And if I look at, you know, going back 20 years again, when I started my first business in Ireland, there weren't a ton of technology businesses that have made money. Most of the people who made money made it through real estate or, you know, large agricultural um, uh, businesses or, or kind of um, infrastructure businesses. And when you were going and saying, hey, we're going to build an app business or we're going to build a Facebook games business, people would look at you as though you had 10 heads. Uh, and so th there wasn't that same ecosystem. Whereas you fast forward 20 years, you have... Stripe, you have Intercom, you have Wayflyer, you have Mana Aero. There are so many successful Irish companies over the last, you know, 20 years that now that next generation of angel investors is there. Now that generation of people who've built businesses to, to millions of users is there. And they're they're not scared of of reinvesting. And and Estonia has that, you know, Skype. The the first employee of Skype became the founder of TransferWise. And now Tavit is one of the most active. Um, angel and VC investors in that ecosystem again, and you know there's someone who's built multiple businesses to, to 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 tens, if not hundreds of millions of of users, and who has this kind of incredible network as a result. And that's the flywheel that we see, and we see delegations coming from Korea, from Japan, from from all over the world to Estonia to see how that kind of ecosystem has been built. And we spent a lot of time looking at it when I was at TechStars as well. But it is that you know success breeds success, and and they also have a very tax efficient um, tax system, or very efficient tax system in, in Estonia, which which certainly helps um, in terms of, of reinvestment into into businesses. But honestly, the biggest thing is people who understand technology are more likely to invest in it, and and because of their experience and knowledge, they can then not just be a check on your cap table uh, or a line on your cap table. They can actually sit down with you and, and go through some of the you know technical challenges that you'll face when you're scaling, etc. And that that's really critical. Your background has been also 
you have the experience in the acceleration program in Techstars, and now in another uh, hat, uh, you you are investor, uh, mm -hmm. which is completely different. What are the differences? Uh, do you miss the old days? Yeah, I miss. I, I definitely miss it. There's, um, I think, anyone who's ever, and I say I do talks at, at universities and schools and various different places all the time. And you know, the 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 thing I say to people is is what I genuinely feel to be true. You know, starting starting my first company was like the the dumbest, craziest, best thing that I've ever done. Right? It, you know, it drove me crazy. It, it, you know, I could probably draw you a picture of the roof of my bedroom from, from the period that we were first running the business because you were awake at 3am so much looking up at the ceiling and wondering if you were going to make payroll. Um, so I think being a founder is is, is quite addictive, actually. Uh, and you never stop kind of seeing opportunities or hearing kind of someone have a conversation going, oh, yeah, actually, that that should exist. And I think running the accelerator was fun in, in that regard, because you were kind of at the coalface with with the founders, right? You you spent three or four months or six months in some cases in in a small room with them and you could see who was happy and who was sad and whose phone call was going well and who needed you to, you know, who did you need to take into a room and have a quiet word with and, and build their confidence up. So you kind of felt very much in the in the trenches, but but it was um I could still go home and sleep at night. Uh, it was it was a little bit less a little bit less stressful, but I certainly miss that that kind of very hands on um, buzz. I think we are quite hands on, high conviction investors now at, at Terra, but it's from a VC angle, it's it's a different type of relationship that you almost by necessity have to have with them because you you know we we manage money on behalf of pension funds. We manage money on behalf of of individuals, and so. In some respects, as a VC, you're friendly with the the companies, and you're on their side, and you're hopefully in the trenches helping them out. But you also have to be, um, you know, a, a financial guardian of of those businesses, and and so that that's a little bit of a kind of different relationship to have. The, the good thing from my perspective is I get to keep kind of mentoring um, on various different kind of accelerator programs around the world. I try to spend as much time as I can going and talking at universities in different places so that I can kind of get those, um, hear people talk uh, or watch the sparks fly in someone's head when they start thinking about an idea for the first time, because that's definitely um, the, the part of the process where you're, you kind of feel like you can, that's zero to one phase, you can make the, the biggest difference as an individual. You are on board of lots of startups. What does the board meetings look like for the different stages of startups? Uh, it's a it's a really good question, right? Um, and I think it's something that we all do a bad job of teaching founders about. Uh, because I go, I have some board meetings that are very well structured, and very sensible, um, and very valuable, and very short. And then I have a lot of other board meetings that are none of those things, but just very long. So the best board meetings are ones where the founders send you all of the data and financial information two or three days in advance. So they send you the board meeting deck and you have the ability to read through that and you have to read, you should read through it. Um, but at then the first kind of 20 or 30 minutes of a, of a board meeting are just the founder going, look, does anyone have any questions about any of the numbers? Are there any areas of concern, et cetera? So you should be able to get through that part mostly via email actually um and then a little bit of dialogue at the at the start of the meeting but really then you want the meet the, the the majority of the meeting to be you know maybe one two or three big strategic questions that that the company has you know should we should we pivot to a b2b model should we start our series a fundraise what do people think about hiring you know our cto out of facebook and paying them 300k a year 
Um, and you really want to get the collective brain power of, of your board uh, on those big, big, big topics. Because what will end up happening if you don't, if you're just presenting 50 slides of financial results, people will zero in on very tactical things that are not important. Right, the, the board meeting is about strategy and it's about the future of the business. And yes, you should discuss you know, where you are at that moment in time, but it can't be three or four hours of, of kind of picking, picking at scabs. So the best companies organize their board meetings like that. And then they have a, a forum for you know, the, the, the founder to talk about the other executives in the business. So you know, we have a kind of executive session and the best board meetings where you know, the COO or CMO or other people who are presenting leave the room and the founder says, I'm really struggling with this person or you know, I don't know what to do in this situation. Um, so I think the best ones are maybe two hours long and, and well-structured. The, the mistake that a, a lot of companies make is they assume that their board is there for them to report into. Um, and that changes, yes, you know, as you, as you get bigger, it is a little bit more about reporting. But in the early days, your board should be a group of very, very smart people whose brains you can activate on big challenges that are facing you. Um, what habits or personal rituals uh, are most important for you and your productivity? How is uh, product, daily productivity that uh, routine look like? Yeah, I, I, as I mentioned, I have a, I have a two and a half year old son. So I take him to nursery every morning um, and I collect him from nursery every evening. So my day is kind of bookended. Uh, 8, 8 a.m. we walk out the door and, and walk for kind of 15 minutes together and 5 p.m. I pick him up and, and we come back. Um, so that's a kind of ritual or habit that we've that we've gotten into and that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't ever want to not do uh, because I think it's just a kind of, first of all, I, I'd leave that door as uh, as a dad and I come back in that door at work, right? And so even just that act of leaving my house and coming back in the front door is like my short commute. Um, I try to run and, and exercise a lot. And now that I'm older, I need to do a lot more of it. Um, but I started running during the, the lockdown here in, in London. And I, I found it was really useful because it was, um, I'm not very fit or certainly I wasn't back then. Um, and so I couldn't check my phone and I couldn't take a call because I, I was mostly struggling to, keep breathing and stay alive and so going out and, and spending time just listening to music um and, and having time to kind of allow thoughts to process i think is really important because if i sit in front of a laptop i'll end up replying to emails and, and just kind of your day fills up and you sometimes wonder if you actually achieved anything um i try to set aside a lot of time like i, I subscribe to a ton of um Substacks and and you know the economist and the ft and new scientists and a bunch of magazines and i really again to make sure that i have time to kind of sit down and, and read those and, and spend less time on um TikTok and, and uh, uh threads and, and and various other platforms because i think the act of reading a article that takes you 15 minutes to read versus a tweet uh is just again good focus and maybe it's just because i'm a old journalist but i i think there's um there's some merit in that so i think those are those are kind of big ones I'm, i i track my sleep with this aura ring um like you know, borderline obsessed with it now um but i think those are all little things that i try to incorporate to to kind of be more functional and also to try and yeah i think there's a big difference in in the way that people work right like the older i get i think the smarter i'm able to work and so i you know of course there are days where you do 12 15 20 hours and it's crazy right but there are also a lot of other days where you can 
get as much work as you need to get done in four hours and actually do some reading or you know listening to a podcast and, and processing information that will make you a better investor or give you better questions to ask in the next meeting and i think that if you don't take time to do that it's very easy with the pace at which technology is moving to to kind of be left behind right um and so that's that's something i'm very intentional about i i, I wrote a book about two years ago we're writing the second edition of it now like all of these little things of just being very kind of systematic in terms of spending time in places is good. And and then the last one is I, I make Legos. <laughs> my um my mom bought me a Lego Eiffel Tower uh, for, for one of the Christmases, maybe one of the lockdown Christmases. Uh, and it was the first piece of Lego I got probably since I was 12 years old. Um, and I loved it. And so I have started... Um, and so that's my little Zen meditation at night is, is building little Lego. There's a guy in, in Ireland called Dublin Bricks who makes Lego replicas of football stadiums and pubs in Dublin. Uh, and so I have I have tons and tons of those. That's my um, that's my meditation, listening to music and, and doing that. I mean, uh, yeah, great to know. Uh, we are also a fan of Legos with my son. <laughs> we are also uh, weekly doing lots of Legos. Yeah. And um, if you could recommend, yes, it's amazing. <laughs> He loves it and we we sat on a table and worked together. Uh, yep. We have done dark weather lately. <laughs> it's not oh, completed yet, but we yeah. are working on it. <laughs> Getting there. Yes. Um, any recommendations, three books for the startups founders? So I think the best, or at least one of the best books I've read for, for founders is a book called Obviously Awesome uh, by a lady called April Dunford. Um, and it's all about the positioning uh, of of your business and so it's not quite marketing and it's not quite branding but it is almost more important than both of those things and, and in forums both of those things uh, and it's a book that I have I have been recommending to people for for years and I've been lucky enough to see April speak at a couple of events and uh, she actually has a new book out now on on sales uh, and how to do early stage sales which is also brilliant but obviously awesome I think is is probably um is probably the top one. I think the uh, Ben Horowitz wrote a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which I think is quite a good book. And I'm sure lots of people have recommended it, but it's good because it talks about the bad side of being a founder. I think a lot of books are kind of like, oh, everything is amazing. And like, it's great doing all of this and, you know, build, 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 etc. Like he talks about a lot of the bad times. And I think um, as someone who started a business that failed, you know, massively, uh, I think that's something that gave me a lot of empathy with founders. And I was very open when I was running Techstars, still am, about kind of what happens when your business fails. And so I think the the hard thing about hard things does, a, does an amazing job of, of going through that. And then for very early stage, like people who are just starting out, um, there's a book called The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick, uh, which is about customer development. Uh, and and I think that book, if you're if you have an idea and you you want to, you know, test it and, and or throw a bunch of ideas against the wall and see what sticks like that book in terms of a systematic guide for how to do um customer development it's you know there are tools that make it a little a lot easier now but the actual processes uh that he describes in there are, are absolutely um absolutely amazing so um yeah those are those are three of the best what advice would you give your 25 year old self about investing working and life uh I think don't don't over don't overthink things. Um, 
I think I spent, as I said, I probably spent a lot of time looking at the ceiling at, at, at three o'clock in the morning um, and a lot of time worrying about things uh, that I didn't need to, like, yes, I needed to worry about, but actually I spent more time dreading sending an email than I did sending it, getting the reply, and then realizing the reply wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be um, with customers, et cetera. So I think don't don't overthink things and don't be afraid to talk to other people. I was in the early business days, I thought our idea was so amazing that if I told anyone else, they would instantly run off and steal it, which is so dumb, right? Like there were a bunch of other people doing doing the same thing. Um, and so I think the, the point at which I got better at being a founder and, and the businesses became more successful was the point at which I would I would say to people all the time, oh, this is a, I don't know how to fire someone or I don't know what to do here. We're, you know, we're in a negotiation with a company in Dubai. Like I've never done that before. What do you do? And once you lose that shame, and are unafraid to admit that you actually don't know the answer to something, the number of people that will come out and go, oh, of course, I'll help. Yes, I'll give you this answer. Yeah, let's do a 30 minute call or let's get a coffee or a lunch. Like the number of people that contributed, many of whom probably to this day don't know how much they contributed um, to me as a, as a founder and entrepreneur and investor with just those meetings is, is incalculable, but it all came from me going, I, I like the three, I still say to founders, three most powerful words in the English language are, I don't know. Uh, you know, because then you go, can you help? You know, can I, I don't know the answer to that. Can I come back to you tomorrow? I don't know how to do that. Can you show me? Um, it just, it gives you a kind of opportunity to, to ask a, a bigger and better question. Iman, thank you very much for this great talk you. with you. It was always a pleasure to meet with you and thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No, it's been great.